All right, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the seventh beatitude coming from verse 9. Look at verse 9. Matthew 5, 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Today we're looking at the third element of true godliness, which is being a peacemaker. Peace. We see the word peace there in peacemaker. Is that important, though? Is peace important? Well, God obviously thinks that peace is important because if you were to grab a uh, Bible uh, encyclopedia or, or something like that, uh, you'd find that Scripture actually contains about 400 direct references to peace. And there, by the way, there's many more than that indirectly. The Bible opens with peace, by the way, in case you didn't know this. You read uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It opens with peace there in the Garden of Eden. And then if you go to the last book of your Bible, which is Revelation, Revelation ends with peace in eternity. So it starts with peace, it ends with peace. Sadly, there's not much peace in between Genesis 3 and about Revelation chapter 19, is there? And although the peace on earth in the garden was interrupted when mankind sinned, at the cross, Jesus Christ made peace a reality again. Praise God for that. He becomes the peace of all who place their faith in Him, though. You must place your faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Peace can now reign in the hearts of Christians because of what Christ has done for us. Someday Christ, the Bible says, will come as the Prince of Peace. And then He will establish a worldwide kingdom of peace. 1,000 literal years, Christ is going to reign on this earth. And then we see the Bible ending with the ultimate eternal peace, which we call eternity. But one of the most obvious facts of history is that peace does not characterize mankind's earthly existence, does it? In fact, I read some rather startling statistics this week. We've got to ask the question, why isn't there peace now? Well, we'll find out the answer to that in a moment. But there's no peace now for at least two reasons, okay? Number one, because of Satan. (laughs) Satan doesn't desire peace. He's like that lion roaming about this earth seeking whom he may devour. But second of all, because of man's disobedience. There's no peace because of our disobedience. Well, way back in 1968, there was a major newspaper that reported that there had been, up to that date, 14,553 known wars since 36 B.C. Wars are not our only problem, though. That gives you an idea of the lack of peace, though, doesn't it? But that's not our only problem. We have, we, we, we don't have economic peace today, do we? We're, we're in a recession, in case you haven't noticed. There's not religious peace either. The Hindus are killing Christians. The Muslims are killing Christians. And other groups are at each other's throats as well. There's not re- racial peace. There's not social peace. There's not family peace. A lot of family violence going on these days, isn't there? And there's not personal peace in our own lives. Most of the world is living with a noisy soul, including the Christians. 
So praise God for the seventh beatitude which calls God's people to be peacemakers. He's called us to a special mission, if you will, to help to restore the peace that was lost in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. So as we look at this seventh beatitude, this attitude that ought to be in us, if you want to be truly godly, you're going to manifest this attitude, which is to be a peacemaker. But we got to start by asking the question, to be a peacemaker, you see the word peace. So we got to answer the question, then what is peace? And as we've done so often with these attitudes, we'll look at the negative first to help us understand what this really means. So what peace is not? First of all, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. It's essential for us to understand here that uh, that the peace about which Jesus speaks is more than just the absence of conflict and strife. We often think of peace as that, but it's it's far more. It goes even deeper than that. It's the presence of righteousness and truth in a person. Only righteousness can produce the relationship that brings two parties together. If the righteousness is not there, then two, then two parties are never going to really be at peace. Righteousness is what puts an end to harm and administers the healing of love. And so without these elements, then what do you have? If you have two parties who don't have righteousness, what do you have? You just have a peaceful coexistence. Peaceful coexistence is not what we're talking about here. So number one, peace is not the absence of conflict. And number two, peace is not a truce. That's what happens sometimes, but peace is not a truce. The most that man's peace can offer is a truce, though. You say, well, what is a truce? In case you don't know what I'm talking about, let me explain it. A truce is a temporary sensation or a cessation of hostilities. It's an agreement for for two parties or two countries even sometimes to stop fighting against each other. That's a truce. And we can apply this in two ways. Either we can apply it on an international scale or on an individual scale. So let's talk about this on an individual scale. We often think about this way. So let's think about it. Until disagreements and hatreds are resolved, the conflicts merely go underground. And when something goes underground, that doesn't mean it's taken care of, does it? Sometimes it can fester. It can actually grow underground. And then sometimes it pops up somewhere else. It breaks out again. Kind of like a nasty weed. However, God's peace not only stops those hostilities, but actually settles the issues, and then it brings the two parties together in mutual love and harmony. That's what needs to happen to be a real peacemaker. So peace is not just simply a a stopping of conflict or strife. Peace is not just a truce. So you say, well, then what is peace? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me explain it to you. Peace is a creative, aggressive force for goodness. Peace, another, uh, somebody else worded it this way, is in, in the midst of my reading I found this, it's, the idea is it's a wholeness and harmony. Wholeness and harmony. So you can see that's wholeness and harmony is far deeper than just a, a stopping of fighting. 
Interestingly enough, the Jewish greeting shalom, uh, when they say that, they're, they're wishing peace upon you. That expression is, it, it, the expression is, is a desire that the one who is receiving that greeting of shalom is being greeted with all of the righteousness and the goodness that God can give to that person. So when a Jew says shalom to you, they're desiring God's highest good for you. That's a good example of what peace is all about. Peace is God's highest good for you. So what is the path to peace? You say, man, that sounds really good. Peace is a good thing. It is. doesn't get much better than that. But what, what's the path to peace? Let's look at some passages that show us the way to peace is actually through purity, holiness, and righteousness. For example, James chapter 3, verse 17 says this, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, in case you didn't see the path there, Think of those words there as stepping stones or pavers, if you will, leading you to peace. Notice verse 18 ends with peace, but how do you get there? How can we apply this verse? Let's say that you are not at peace with someone else. Let's say you have a, a friend, for example, you just, you're, you're having issues with a friend, all right? Whatever those issues are with that friend or that workmate or that family member, you're not at peace with that someone. How are you to be at peace? Well, first of all, here's number one. You need to realize that peace can't be attained at the expense of righteousness or purity. Peace doesn't come at all costs, in other words. You can't just throw righteousness and purity out the window and expect to have peace. You and that person or that persons need to recognize and you need to resolve wrong attitudes and wrong actions that cause conflict between the two of you. Do, you. do you understand? There's wrong attitudes and actions that are causing the conflict. So those need to be resolved in order for there to be peace. Second of all, both of you have to bring yourselves to God for cleansing. That's how peace is going to be attained. That's the path to peace. You can't have true peace if you ignore the cleansing that is going to bring purity in your life. Let's look at two more verses that link peace and purity together. In case you didn't see it from James 3 there, look at Hebrews 12, 14. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you see the connection between peace and holiness? Peace and purity? Okay, the, Psalm 85 is interesting. Look, look at this one. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. <laughs> Don't you love that poetic language there? Righteousness and peace kiss each other. They, they, they go together like, like two lips, two pairs of lips coming together and smooching each other. All right? It's a beautiful picture. And so Jesus made a very interesting statement here in this next verse that really seems to be the opposite of the seventh beatitude. 
Look at Matthew 10 here. It says, do not think, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And, and you got to just shake your head with me, okay? Just shake your head with me and, and, and think, uh, oh, wait a minute, I don't get it. This, this seems to be the opposite. Peace and a sword, right? You think of sword as violence, right? As, as hatred, revenge, or war, right? You don't think of sword as, as peace. No, it's, that, that don't go together, right? In your mind, you think of opposites. But l- let me explain what, what Jesus meant. What does Jesus mean? Well, his meaning was that the peace that he came to bring is not peace at any price, which sometimes people think. No, it's not peace at any price. There's going to be opposition before there's harmony. There's going to be strife before there's peace. That's what Jesus is saying. So when believers bring truth to bear on a world that loves falsehood and doesn't love the truth, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be strife. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be the butting of heads together. In other words, when Christians set God's standards of righteousness before a world that loves wickedness, what do you think is going to happen? There's going to be an inevitable potential for a conflict, right? Sit back and watch the fireworks, in other words, right? You you bring truth to bear. What's going to happen? The world is often going to hate that. Why? The world hates the light because they... They love the darkness. Why did Jesus say they love the darkness? Because their deeds are evil. So until unrighteousness is changed to righteousness, there can't be godly peace. Not going to happen. It's not going to be easy. So we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that this is an easy process. It's not. The process of, of resolution is a difficult and costly process. Truth is often going to produce anger in someone because it produces, or before, actually, before it produces happiness in someone, sometimes there's, there's going to be some conflict. Righteousness will often produce antagonism before it produces harmony. So that's the path. Let's think about the third question. What's the enemy of peace? There is an enemy of peace, but what is that enemy? Well, the enemy of peace. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know the enemy? Is it obvious by now? Hopefully it's obvious. But the great enemy of peace is sin. It's sin. The Bible says that sin separates people from God. It causes enmity between us and God. It puts that, it makes us his enemy, if you will. And you say, you ask, well, what about my lack of peace with such and such a person? Maybe you have a person in your mind where you're lacking peace. You say, well, what what about my lack of peace with that person? The answer is, our lack of harmony and peace with God causes us to lack harmony with each other. So it's a byproduct, if you will. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why the world is filled with so much strife and war? We, We talk about peace. We, we want peace, but we don't get peace. And we're not going to get peace until the millennium. Why is that? The answer is sin. Because 
we are sinners, we sin, therefore you're going to have conflict. I want you to notice what the prophet Jeremiah tells us. He helps us to understand why there's so much conflict and and lack of peace. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So peace cannot reign where wickedness is reigning. Think of peace as, as a king, if you will. That king cannot come in and reign until the other king is dethroned, if you will. Sin is, is reigning at the moment. It needs to be dethroned. Wicked hearts cannot produce a peaceful society, no matter how hard they try. So in, in many ways, our city councils and our government get the cart before the horse. They're trying to fix our, our ailing society with all of its many problems, such as family violence or racial uh, conflict or whatever it might be. You know, the UN's trying to solve the world's peace issues. They're never going to do it because they don't understand the root problem is sin. Isaiah 48, verse 22 says, There is no peace for the wicked. <laughs> there is no peace for the wicked. That's what God said. And so if you're thinking that you want to talk about peace, then you first need to lay some groundwork then, don't you? If You should not talk of peace without talking of repentance of sin, without talking about the other true elements of saving faith, those first four Beatitudes. Well, in Jeremiah's day, the corrupt religious leaders of Israel said this. Look at Jeremiah 8. They said, peace, peace. When there is no peace, were they, uh, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So, do you see that? They're, they're talking of peace. They didn't have it, though, did they? Why? What, what's the problem? The problem was sin. They didn't even blush. Sin didn't even bother them. (laughs) Now you say, Pastor Scott, I can see that repentance is vital to peace here. So how can I create peace? Wouldn't you just love to be able to create peace, to bring peace in your life, in your family, your your workplace, in this world, in this country? That would be a wonderful thing. So how can I create peace? Well, here's the answer. you ready? You can't. You can't. Sorry to pop your balloon there. You can't create peace. You can't create it within yourself. And you can't create it among other people. And I'll explain why. Well, listen to what Jesus said, first of all, in Mark chapter 7 here. Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So, until you're able to deal with what's in your heart, you're hopeless. You, You understand? Peace is hopeless until you can actually cleanse and purify your own heart, which, of course, you cannot. Sin can produce nothing but strife and conflict. And so regardless of the circumstances, I can confidently say that where there is conflict in your life and in this world, 
It's because of sin. So when you come to me and you talk about conflict, I'm going to point to sin because that's what's causing it. So in order for us to be peacemakers, we must not try to circumvent sin. In other words, you shouldn't try to go around sin, ignore sin, don't try to sweep sin under the rug. That's not how you deal with it. Why? Why why shouldn't you try to circumvent sin? Because sin's the source of every conflict you and I deal with. So what do we do? Deal with the sin problem. (laughs) Isn't that obvious? You want peace? Deal with the sin problem. Well, how do we deal with sin, you might ask? How do we deal with sin? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got one word. Gospel. The answer is the gospel. Now listen closely, because I, w- I want to be practical here for a minute, okay? Uh, these, these messages are, are you know, not just to fill our heads with knowledge. So think about this for a moment. The gospel, which literally means the good news. Well, I mean, good news, you don't have good news until you have bad news, right? There's no good news without bad news. And the bad news of the gospel comes before the good news. So until a person actually confronts that bad news, which is the sin, it makes no sense to offer that person a Savior. When we witness to people, sometimes we get the cart before the horse. All right? The horse is supposed, you understand, the horse is supposed to go in front of the cart. The horse is supposed to pull the cart. It doesn't work very good when the cart's in front of the horse and the horse is trying to push the cart. It doesn't work very good. Doesn't work that way. But sometimes we do that when we're witnessing. We, we want to talk about Jesus, and so we should. That, that's good news. We talk about God's love. That's, that's great. But until someone recognizes they're lost, they're not going to want the Savior. So until a person faces their false notions, it makes no sense to offer them the truth. Let me give you another example. If somebody... If somebody thinks they're healthy, they're not going to go through chemotherapy and radiation treatment, are they? Why would you want to lose your hair and go through all that horrible stuff if you think you're healthy? You're not going to do that. Only someone who knows they have a deadly disease called cancer is going to bother going through chemotherapy and radiation. But guess what? This world has a greater problem. It's called sin. The most deadly and wicked disease there is. People need to see that disease before they'll take on the remedy. So until a person acknowledges their enmity with God, it makes no sense to offer them peace with God. That's what I'm trying to say. So the good news is not good until people hear the bad news first. Let's look at an example of peacemaking in the life of Christ. You say, I mean, this Beatitude's calling us to be a peacemaker. What does that look like? Well, let's go to the greatest example of of, of a peacemaker there is, who, of course, is Christ. And a good example of that is in John chapter 4, where Christ had this divine appointment that he kept, of course. Jesus never evaded the issue of wrong doctrine or behavior with people. We like to do that. We don't like conflict. We want to make peace. We think that if we, if we don't talk about wrong doctrine or, or bad behavior, we think then we're going to have peace. No, that's not how it works, my friend. In fact, Jesus Christ spoke the truth 
to the woman at the well. And he spoke the truth in love, by the way. He treated that Samaritan woman with love and compassion, but he didn't uh, hesitate to confront her godless life. In fact, that's one of the first things he did. He confronted her immorality, her immoral living. And in fact, look what Jesus said in John 4, verse 18. He said, you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Jesus is not avoiding the hard stuff here, is he? You say, that's an example of peacemaking? Yes. You don't get peace. You don't get wholeness and harmony when you leave the the biggest problem, which is sin, alone. Well, what did Jesus do next? Christ corrected her false ideas about worship. Look what He says in John 4 here, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe Me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation's from the Jews. So Jesus confronts her false ideas about worship. By the way, we need to take away something from that. When you come across a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or whatever, you know, some false sect or religion or cult, just to leave them sitting in their false theology is not helpful. You're not being a peacemaker. You need to do what Jesus did and point out their false theology. Well, let's apply this passage here, okay? What can we learn from Christ? How are we to be peacemakers? And the answer is we must be willing to disrupt and disturb. We must be willing to disrupt and disturb. And do it in God's name, by the way. Do it in God's name. God's truth has to be the standard, not yours. Not an organization, not any, anything else. And so it would be wrong for us to actually confirm a sinner and leave them in their sin. You're not being a peacemaker if you do that. You say, well, what about our witnessing then? How can we be a peacemaker in our witnessing? I mean, you go and knock on someone's door and attempt to tell them about Jesus. Is that being a peacemaker? You, you can be. Is it not loving to witness by appeasement and compromising of God's Word? No. Too often we're afraid to rock the boat, right? We don't like it when boats are rocking. i got a little canoe, and I've gone down the Waikato River several times. And uh, the more people you get in there, the more unstable it gets. It's not nice when people rock that boat, because I don't want to get all wet and cold. Because I know where I'm getting out is a long way down the river, and I don't want to sit there and be cold all that time. We don't like it when people rock the boat. So it's wrong when we're we when all we do is just, Protect the status quo. The status quo is what's here. The norm, if you will. Peace at any price is a worldly philosophy that too many of us have kind of been sucked into. Please don't forget, my friends, that God's peace comes only in God's way. Only in God's way. I like the way John MacArthur summed it up. Here's what he said. Quote, being a peacemaker is essentially the result of a holy life and the call to others to embrace the gospel of holiness. End quote. You see the two parts of peacemaking there? That's a great way to put it. Number one, peacemaking involves living a holy life. 
And then number two, calling others to embrace the gospel. By the way, it takes both. It takes both. You leave one of those out, you're not really being a peacemaker. Okay? You've got to live the life. Talk the talk and walk the walk. Yes. All right? Do both. Question number five we need to think about here is then where does peace come from? God calls us to be peacemakers. Where does it come from? The source of peace, of course, is God. It's God. God is the maker of peace. Mankind's without peace. Why? Because mankind is without God. That's why we're without, without peace. So praise God. One of the reasons that Jesus Christ came was to bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace. How did He do that? By removing sin. We have to remember that the barrier to peace is sin. Of course, the Bible talks a lot about this. For example, in Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did Jesus break down the wall of hostility? He did it when He came. He died and He rose again. He dealt with the sin problem. Well, let me talk from a personal standpoint here. So, before I became a Christian, and those of you, or you as well, those of you who are Christians, you were enemies of God. I had no relationship with God before I was a Christian. So here's the reality. Before I became a Christian, I was an enemy of God. I had no relationship with God. I had no relationship nor fellowship with Him. I was His enemy because of my sin. But praise God that He sent His Son who reconciles me to God the Father and He brings peace into my life. That's the only way I can have peace. The only way you can have peace. I want you to look at this passage in Colossians 1 that talks about this. Colossians 1, what a wonderful passage. Verse 19 says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So here's a good question for you. How could the cross bring peace? Well, look at that verse 20 there. How does the cross bring peace? At the cross... All of mankind's hatred and anger was vented against God. On the cross, Christ was mocked. He was cursed. He was spit upon. He was pierced. He was reviled. And He was killed. Yet, it's through that very violence that God brought peace. God's greatest righteousness confronted man's greatest wickedness. And guess which one won? God's righteousness won. And as a result of that, peace was won. Here's what one commentator said, quote, If the Father is the source of peace, and He is, and the Son is the manifestation of the peace, then the Holy Spirit is the agent of that peace. In other words, the Holy Spirit's the one bringing the peace into our lives and working it out. One of the most beautiful fruits the Spirit gives to those in whom He resides is the fruit of peace. 
the God of peace sent the Prince of Peace who sends the Spirit of Peace to give the fruit of peace. No wonder the Trinity is called Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh in your Bibles is translated in English with all capital letters, L-O-R-D, Lord. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. The Lord is peace. Did you know that the God of peace intends peace in this world? He does. (laughs) You might be surprised to hear that. Did you know that the world that God created in peace is one day going to be restored back to paradise in peace? There's coming a day, my friend, when Christ is going to establish His kingdom on this earth. And again, the lion will lie down with the lamb. And it won't be for lunch. The Bible says the lion will lie down with the lamb in peace, side by side, and the lamb is not going to be lunch. God is going to restore peace even in the animal kingdom as well as humankind, and it's going to be for 1,000 years, but when that ends, then it's going to be for all eternity in a place we call heaven. I want you to look at these verses, Jeremiah 29.11. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Peace is coming, not in this life, not, not maybe in the way you're thinking of, not without wars and conflicts. Jesus said in John 16, look at this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So where does peace come from? Well, it certainly doesn't come from the world, that does it. Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation. And it certainly doesn't come from our circumstances, because the people around us don't have peace. They're going to create conflicts in your life. They're going to give you strife. They're going to be pains in the neck, so to speak. The economy's in strife. There's racial strife. There's family strife. The, the world's just filled with strife and conflict. So it's not going to come from our circumstances either. So don't go looking for peace in this world, my friend, okay? It's a false hope. This world is in great turmoil and strife. But within a Christian's being, he has peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. Those who are in the best of circumstances that are without God will never have peace. They can never find peace. But those who might be in the worst of circumstances can have peace because peace comes from God. You see that, my friend? So the messengers of peace are believers in Jesus Christ. And only those who have humbled themselves, who have mourned over their sin, who have been meek and are thirsting for righteousness can be a peacemaker. You you don't become a peacemaker unless the four first four Beatitudes are in your life. Those true elements of saving faith. So the Bible says that the ministry of reconciliation or this ministry of peacemaking comes through reconciliation. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, the ministry of reconciliation is literally the ministry of peacemaking. That's the best way to bring peace. Let's look at some characteristics of a peacemaker. What are the characteristics of a peacemaker? Number one, okay, want to be a peacemaker? A peacemaker is one who has made peace with God. That's, my friends, where it starts. You can never have peace with a friend or a family member or a workmate unless, first of all, you have made peace with God. That's where it starts. The gospel, by the way, is all about peace. And so before a believer comes to Christ, they're at war with God. And if you're at war with God, you're not going to have peace. And in fact, look what Romans 5.10 says. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So before anyone becomes a Christian, they're an enemy of God. And He's the worst one to have as an enemy. (laughs) It doesn't get any worse than that. And so when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, God the Father imputed into me Christ's righteousness. So my battle with God ended, and my peace with God began. And so because I made peace with God, then I can enjoy the peace of God. Do you see there's a difference there? You, (laughs) You have to have peace with God first before you can have the peace of God. And because I've been given God's peace, I'm called to share God's peace with others. And the Bible says that I am to have my feet shod with the gospel of peace, the Bible says. That's part of the armor, in case you don't, didn't know that. In Ephesians 6, verse 15, it says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let me give you some application to think about here as we think about a peacemaker being one who has made peace with God. Well, because peace is always corrupted by sin, then guess what? You and I must be holy. We need to be set apart from sin. We need to be distinct, separate. In other words, our lives need to be continually cleansed by the Holy Spirit can't be a peacemaker unless that process is going on why because sin breaks our fellowship with god and then when fellowship is broken guess what peace is broken too if we're disobedient and self-indulgent worshiping ourselves we're not suited to be an ambassador of peace then are we you're not going to care about other people and their problems number one A peacemaker is one who's made peace with God. Number two, a peacemaker leads others to make peace with God. So when you're right with God, you have the peace of God, peace with God, then you're going to care about other people having peace with God too then. If you think that you're part of some elite core of of people who have somehow spiritually arrived, and then you're looking down at the rest of the world then guess what? You need repentance. 
you need to repent of your sin. Sadly, too many Christians become quite proud and arrogant and think, hey, man, uh, <laughs> you know, I become like, they become like Pharisees, right? I've arrived. And they look at the guy over there. They, it's easy to look at other people and find somebody worse than you. Instead, we need to beat our own breasts and, 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 and pray to God and, and beg for mercy and grace. Some people think, hey, you know, I, I'm better than that person. No, you're not. You might be better off. If you're a Christian, you're better off, but you're not better than anyone else. We are a body of sinners who have been cleansed by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, has commissioned us to carry His gospel to the rest of the world. And that, my friend, is not an option. It's not an option. That's your mission. That's our mission, corporately speaking. So the peacemaking spirit is the exact opposite of the Pharisees then, isn't it? What were they like? Well, they were smug. They were proud. They were complacent. They're determined to have their own ways. They want to defend their own rights. They want to defend their own territory. Jesus comes along and, and attempts to kick them out. And they didn't like that. He attempted to show their sin. They didn't like that. By the way, does that sound anything like the Beatitudes? Does their attitude sound anything like the Beatitudes? No, of course not. Instead, a peacemaking spirit is built on what? The first Beatitude is humility. It's built on sorrow over our sin. It's built on gentleness, meekness. It's built on a hunger for righteousness. It's built on mercy and purity of heart. That's what godliness is. What do you think the purpose of the church is? Well, one of the purposes of our church is to preach peace through Jesus Christ. If you want to promote peace, my friend, and that's a worthy goal... Don't do it through the UN. <laughs> That's a waste of our money and time. Preach Christ. That's how we can promote peace. To bring a person to the saving knowledge of Christ is the most peacemaking act that a human being can perform. You say, well, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can preach Christ. Should I even bother preaching about Christ? Yes, you should. May I remind you that you are a beggar who has found food and was called to help other beggars receive that same food. Do you see that, my friend? Every Christian is a beggar who has received wonderful blessings from God which we do not deserve. And there are other beggars out there who are starving, spiritually speaking. They need that same food. It's your responsibility to give it to them. Third way we can be a peacemaker is to help others make peace with others. You say, is that my responsibility? Yes. <laughs> I'll show you from the Bible how it is your responsibility. You can't just sit off in your corner and ignore people. You don't have that option. A peacemaker builds bridges between men and God, but also does it between people and other people, which may include ourselves but may include other people as well. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Here's where you and someone else may come in. All right, look, look, at Math, look what Jesus said in Matthew 5. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you see Jesus is calling you to deal with this conflict, this strife, unresolved sin, if you will, between you and someone else? In fact, God, Jesus, said it's more important than you bringing your offering to the church. Okay? So don't go and put your offering in the offering box or have your electronic bank do it for you and ignore someone else in the congregation whom you're having strife with. Notice what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The first step in bridge building... Think of a bridge. What does a bridge do? Right? Pretty obvious. A bridge connects one side with another side, right? Makes it possible for people and cars and vehicles and trains and other things to go across an opening. Otherwise, they couldn't get across. Right? If your car tried to go across the Waikato River today and there was no bridge, you would not be successful, would you? Doesn't matter how fast you drive. <laughs> You try going across the Waikato River, when there's no bridge, you're going to end up in the river. We need bridges. Peacemakers build bridges, in this case, between men and God, and sometimes between men and other men, and it may include ourselves and other people. So the first step in that bridge-building process is often to rebuke other people about their sin. So you say, well, I think that's unloving. No. That's called peacemaking, according to God. When you go and and confront someone else about their sin, you are loving that person. We need to change the way we think about this. In fact, look what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Here's what Jesus said. The second person of the Trinity. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So do you see the process there of church discipline? If you have an issue with somebody, you, you, don't, you don't talk about that person to everybody in the congregation first. That, that's not the first step. <laughs> the first step is you go to the person. You confront them lovingly about their sin. You say, isn't that hard? Yes, of course it's hard. That's never easy. But if we're unwilling to help others confront their sin we will be unable to help them find peace in their life. Do you care about them? They need peace. Their problem is the sin. Number four, you say you want to be a peacemaker? Here's how you do it. Number four, a peacemaker endeavors to find a point of agreement. Peacemaker endeavors to find a point of agreement. Okay? Don't go into a situation thinking, man, i got nothing in common with this person. No. Find the point of agreement. You can find something. I'm sure you can. 
I mean, if that person has two legs and you have two legs, guess what? You just found a point of agreement. Now, that's, that's kind of a silly one, but do, do you see my point? You can find something if you look hard enough and talk long enough. God's truth must never be compromised or weakened, though. But usually, you can find something to agree on, all right? I'm not suggesting you compromise, but you can find something to agree upon. Wrong theology, wrong standards, those things have to be dealt with. I'm not saying ignore them. Theology is important. Standards are important, but they're not usually the best place to start when you're witnessing to someone, okay? Uh, it's not probably not the best place to start when you're trying to make peace with someone. Okay, you don't need to delve into f- the finer if- issues of theology. Okay, when you're trying to make peace with someone, okay, you can you can find somewhere to agree upon. So let me exhort you as you do this: contend earnestly for the faith, but don't be contentious while doing it. All right, just a little practical thing, but it makes a big difference. You're just going to drive people away. You're going to make matters worse. If you're contentious, you're obnoxious, and you're going in like the old Western movies. You know, the old Western movies, the guy has, he has two, two revolvers on his hips. He's going in to solve the issue, right? And what does he do? He comes in both barrels blazing away. He's just shooting everybody he sees. That's not going to help. All right? I'm not suggesting you do that literally. But sometimes we do it with our mouth. We just come in, we want to solve a problem, there's a conflict, there's strife, and your mouth just starts blurting out words. You're you're not even thinking. You're like Peter. You're sticking your foot in your mouth, and you're just making, you're digging the hole deeper. So let me exhort you. Yes, contend for the faith, but do it without being contentious. You can disagree without being disagreeable. Does that make sense? I have, I have many pastor friends that we don't see eye to eye. I have other friends we don't see eye to eye. I don't even see eye to eye with my own wife. But you can, you can have disagreements without being disagreeable. For example, if you don't see eye to eye on something, it's not going to help to call that person an idiot or a moron or you're stupid, where's your brain, or whatever. Okay, that doesn't help. That's being disagreeable. might say, well, I'm sorry, I just don't see it that way. You know, it's a nice way of saying we're not seeing eye to eye. You can confront without being abusive. Ephesians 4 says we're to speak the truth in love. So what's the result? Well, here's some good news. What is the result of peacemaking? Look at Matthew 5, verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called Sons of God. The result of peacemaking is what? Well, here's the way I've put it. The result of peacemaking is eternal blessing as God's children in God's kingdom. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Peacemakers, the Bible says, shall be called sons of God. And if you're not amazed and thrilled and excited and passionate about that, then your exciter is broken. Or you just not saved. You don't get it. Now, I'm very thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my ancestors, my parents, and my family name, and, and, and all of those things. It's wonderful to have the influence of, 
of Christian parents and grandparents and all those are good things, but guess what? The greatest human heritage cannot be matched by what we see here. can't be matched by the believer's heritage in Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than that. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, the Bible says. Nothing in this universe can compare to being a child of God. And again, if you're not excited by that, then you don't know God. (laughs) Okay? Imagine, okay, let me help you out. Imagine what it would be like if you suddenly found out that you are now a child of the queen. You'd probably start thinking, ooh, what would that be like? What's it like living in a palace? How much much money am I going to get? How many cars am I going to get? How many servants do I get? You start thinking about all these things, and you say, wow, you might, get, you might start getting excited by that. I don't know, maybe you might think that's scary. I don't know, but uh, here's the point. Being a child of God is far greater than being a child of the queen. By the way, that, that one little word there, sons of God, it's expressing dignity and honor of the relationship of a child to his parents. As God's peacemakers were promised the glorious blessing of eternal sonship. And guess what? It's in His kingdom. One commentator put it this way. This is helpful. Think about this. Quote, Peacemaking is a hallmark of God's children. A person who is not a peacemaker either is not a Christian or is a disobedient Christian. The person who is continually disruptive, divisive, and quarrelsome has good reason to doubt his relationship to God altogether. God's sons, that is, all of his children, both male and female, are peacemakers. Only God determines who his children are, and he has determined that they are the humble, the penitent over sin, the gentle, the seekers of righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. I want you to look at your text here for a moment. By the way, that ends our quote on that. The text says that in Matthew 5, 9, these people and these alone shall be called sons of God. They shall be called. Those words are in in the future tense. In fact, it's continuous future tense, which just means this, that throughout all of eternity, peacemakers are going to be called children of God. Just dwell upon that for a moment you will be called children of God. You don't become a child of God by natural birth, though, do you? In fact, Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. The epistles often say you have to be adopted into His family. You don't, you're not born into His family. And in fact, the Bible says you are of your father, the devil. My friend, when you were born, the devil was your father. That's not a comforting thought, is it? So you have to have another father adopt you. God the Father has to transform you so that you can become a part of His family. And you get a different name, a different father. You get different privileges and rights and everything that comes with that. Well, let's think about another question as we end here, okay? Number, well, here, here's the question. Will a peacemaker always be successful in making peace? You say, I want to be a peacemaker. I see the path to peace. 
I understand it comes from God. I understand all this. I, I understand the results and the privileges here. It's truly a blessed thing. But am I always going to be successful at this? I mean, because I feel like I'm often a failure. Well, let me answer that, okay? God's peacemakers will not always have peace in this world. Was Jesus always a peacemaker in that way? No, of course not. Jesus makes it quite clear. In fact, we're going to look, Lord willing, next week we'll look at the next beatitude. Look at verse 10 where he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So my friend, you can be a peacemaker and at the same time receive persecution. Do you get it? And in fact, they often go together. They often go together. In Christ, we have forsaken the false peace of the world, and consequently, we're often not having peace in this world because we're bringing truth to bear on people's sin. But as God's children, we may always have peace in this world even though our circumstances may not be peaceful and this world may not be at peace. This is called the peace of God. There's the good news. You may not have peace in this world, but you can still be at peace with God. Your heart can be quiet at rest. The world can't give you that. The world tries to take it away, my friend. Beware. The devil's going to try to take that peace away. The world's going to attack. Your own indwelling sin's going to do everything it can to attack you so that you're not at peace, so that you have a noisy soul. My friend, the solution is God. The solution is deal with the sin. Christ has dealt with the sin. The issue is, do you believe that? 